Amen. You may be seated. Wow, I hate to stop today. The singing is great. Oh, just wonderful sound. I did not introduce, and I, I'm sorry that I didn't introduce our singers this morning. You know, I think you know already, my daughter Jennifer Exline is with us today. Glad to have Jennifer. She's my second favorite female vocalist in the world. Debbie's my first. And, she's <laughs> and then it's good to have Ben Wells. Ben and Linda Wells, they're from New Braunfels now. Uh, ben and, and I uh, had the privilege of family served together for a quarter of a century. Quarter of a century at First Baptist Church, Liberty City. So, so good to, good to see Ben Linda. We were at the golf course, Ben, you were probably there that day, when I was riding with my friend Jimmy Henson. Jimmy's oh, probably 15 or so years older than me, would you say, Ben? Something like that. And I always uh, was just very fond of Jimmy. He was always really funny and and uh, love the Lord, just love the Lord. His wife is just a prayer warrior. And so we were number 11, and Jimmy had hit a, a shot. Ben, you're going to think of a different story, because one day Jimmy hit a shot, and Ben picked his ball up and threw it in the water. That's not that story. But we were, we were going uh, on the golf cart together, and Jimmy said to me, and I, and I hadn't pressed him on this. It wasn't something I said, why don't you ever sing in church? But I noticed that he never sang when, when that, anyway. And just out of the blue, Jimmy said, you know, uh, I, I, love, uh, I love the music ministry in our church, and I love to listen, but singing is just not one of the ways that I worship. And before the filter kicked in, before I could think, I said, what other parts of Scripture have you chosen to disobey? <laughs> he was good-natured and laughed about it. Now, I'm not... Now, let me, let me say quickly, Jesus told us to speak the truth in love. There may have been truth there, but I could have done that a much different, <laughs> different way. Uh, the, the old commentator, Matthew Henry, is called singing in worship a gospel ordinance. Uh, his definition of ordinance, of course, is a commandment of Scripture. And so we are commanded in Scripture to sing to the Lord. But the question before us today is, what's the big deal about singing? Because there seems to be a lot said in Scripture about singing in worship. So I want to talk about that a little bit today, and I will use Ephesians chapter 5, and while you're turning there, since I'm still the new guy around here, let me tell you a little bit, Lucas, is okay? Okay. Uh, I'm still the new guy. Let me tell you just a little bit of my story to help you understand where I'm coming from on this subject today. When I was four years old, on the Sunday night service at our little church, Little Hope Baptist Church in Canton, when I was four years old, after Sunday night service, I was standing out on the porch with my parents, waiting for our song leader slash mail carrier to come out. And when he came out the door, I said to Albert Sneed, I'm going to get your job one day. Fourteen years later, I did. Um, as long as I can remember, I just wanted to sing in church. Even before I knew Jesus, I just wanted to sing in church. That's just been a great desire. The problem was, in earlier years, particularly uh, before I graduated from high school, if you heard me sing, you probably wouldn't ask me to sing again. There just wasn't much there, and Debbie said, oh, that's true. There wasn't much there to be commended in the voice. <laughs> but, but the Lord has helped with that over the years. Through high school, through days of rebellion and so forth, even after coming to know Jesus as a boy at nine years old, uh, meeting my wife, and uh, the girl who would be my wife in high school, Going through a lot of different different things, there was always a desire there to sing, and it just never never left. 
I went to college to study for my last work to be a computer programmer. That quickly changed, and I changed my major to political science. You can use that in church work, let me tell you. <laughs> so, um, still, still with the desire to sing and to lead worship. At our little country church, I had started to lead music there, and we had started the choir, and was learning how to work with the choir, and I always enjoyed doing that. And um, I got a call from a friend, Ed Hart, down at County Line Baptist Church in Athens, Texas, and that call ended up in us moving to help with the ministry, the music ministry in that church, and began a choir. Thirteen people in the choir down there. It was glorious, glorious, wonderful time. Um, and learned a whole lot more about music and working with pastors and what a church needed. Still not a whole lot about what the Bible had to say about singing in church, though. From that, I went to First Baptist Church, Ben Wheeler, after four years, to serve with the pastor who had baptized me as a nine-year-old boy. And we spent almost four years there at Ben Wheeler, much of that time preaching and teaching and, and singing, and still just loving working with the choir and doing all that sort of thing. It was while we were in Wheeler that in working in my family's construction business, I was in an accident on a job. Some of you have heard this story. I was in Edgewood, Texas. We had always kept an air compressor in the back of my pickup and I and also a water can. Because it was very important that we have that water can. We filled it up with a block of ice in it every morning. Some water had spilled over on the bumper of my pickup. When I stepped up on that bumper to reach for the air compressor, my feet slipped and I went over backwards and my head flipped. Went back like that. When I started to get up, I thought, oh, something's wrong. Something's not right. And I took my hand behind my head and lifted up like that. After going to the doctor and going through some different procedures, found out that I had fractured vertebrae and two ruptured discs. I'd basically broken my neck in an 18-inch fall. So the surgery that they did to fix that, they had to go in the front here. And to do that, they had to take my voice box out. And one side of the vocal apparatus, the the vocal cords went dead. Now remember I told you that as long as I could remember, all I really wanted to do was, was sing in church, sing to the Lord. So after that surgery, I went back to my little room in the house that Debbie and I had built there on the farm in Canada. And uh, I sat back in that room, unable to sing. And even after several months of rehab, and it was time for me to try to sing again, I tried, and I tried for a note here and get it down here. It was just all over the place. It was terrible. And I tell you, I was at the bottom. And I went back into that room and I said to the Lord, Lord, you set me up. You gave me this desire to sing for you. And now the one thing that I want to do for you, you took away. And as though the Lord was speaking, he said, for you? Really? Really? It hadn't been that long before when I, I was at the Van Zandt County Fairgrounds in August. There was a huge tent there with over a thousand people, and they were filling that thing up. I was leading a revival service with a well-known at that day, well-known evangelist at that time, in August, in the tent, in our three-piece suits. It was hot, yes. But I remember looking out at that crowd one night and thinking, man, you have arrived. A thousand people out there. Here you sing tonight. How many of you know that the Lord will not share his glory with you? He will not. And so I believe the Lord put me in a place with my neck that I would listen to him. 
And that thing that became, that caused me to question and to get mad at God. By the way, you'll repent after you get mad at God. Okay? You can do it. He can take it. But you'll repent after you see how stupid it really was. After that, uh, the Lord began slowly to restore my ability, or maybe for the first time, give me the ability to sing in a way that I hadn't before, even with only one side of the vocal apparatus working. I couldn't yell football games or that sort of thing, but I could sing, and the Lord allowed me to do that. When, not just, I mean, just a few months after that, I picked up the phone in that back room one night, and on the other end I hear this, Keith, this is Ben Wells. I said, hello, Ben. He said, I live in Liberty City. I said, great, where's Liberty City? And he told me. And that began what would be 28 years of ministry and wonderful ministry that it was to see what God would do there. All of that to say this, to sing to the Lord is a very precious thing to me. I've been where you couldn't. And it's a very precious thing. Let's see what the Bible has to say. And let's start with a quote from Jonathan Edwards, if you will. Put that up there. 1740, you see how contemporary we are today. God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those who see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. C.S. Lewis would say it a little different way a couple centuries later. He would say, at last a truth that had, and I'm paraphrasing, last a truth that had escaped me became very obvious. That praise not just expresses the joy we have in our God, but praise completes that joy. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about that. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. I add a verse in there for you. So what does the scripture have to say to us about singing corporately when we gather in worship. I'm going to give you six things today, and don't worry, we're going to run through them pretty quickly. There are six things in this passage that I think the scripture shows us that are very important for us to, to see. And the first, let's just begin with that first one in verse 18. Actually, let's start with 17, because that's where I started with the passage. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying to us, this is God's will for you. Now hear what he says in verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So number one, and by the way, there's notes on the back of your sermon guide. If you didn't see, these notes will be on there. And you, can, you can take those and, and look and check me out. And by the way, could I just say this? Um, I, I have failed to say this often when teaching, and I need you to know, I very willfully and joyfully in this position as a covenant member of Song and Life place myself under the authority of the elders of this church. And I am so grateful to be a part of the congregation where the elders actually uh, more than emphasize, where they focus on teaching the truth of God's word. 
And where there are those, as Ben said in our focus class this morning, where there, there are those who, if I get off track, I'm certain that there are some guys who will lovingly come and say, hey, brother, I think you're missing on this one. And it's good. And we have guys, if you're not a part of our men's ministry Facebook page, get on that thing. I can't tell you what a blessing it is. Matei posts a wonderful uh, thing, articles, scriptures. People will comment on it. It's just been a wonderful blessing every day, something new and fresh point of discussion. And by the way, our men's ministry and our ladies' ministry, right? Both meet this week, week on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock at the two very uh, two different places. We invite you to be a part of those as well. So what does it say? First of all, singing is to be an expression of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that even the desire you have to give praise to the God, to our God and Father, even the desire you have comes from Him. From Him, through Him, to Him are all things. Even the desire, even the what wells up inside and says, I want to give a song to Jesus today. Even that comes from Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk, he says. And, and I, I believe this to be true. I don't think Paul is making a statement here about alcohol as much as he's making a contrast. The contrast is between the drunk whose mind is numbed by the alcohol and the joyful Christian whose mind is enlivened by the Spirit of God. And so when you have the Spirit of God working in your heart, things that may have been you passed over before, all of a sudden they jump out at you and you're reading a verse and the words pops out and you say, oh, I never saw that before. Or you're singing a song and a line comes to you and you say, yes, yes, I agree with that. And your heart reacts and you give your own amen to it. As God. Am I, am I, uh, am I speaking truth to some of you experientially? No, amen. Nod those heads, that's good. Uh, Debbie and I lived in, our, for our first 10 years at Liberty City, almost 10 years, we lived in a little parsonage that was next door to the church. It was about 1,000 square feet, a little house, and it was really a really nice place. The problem was, well, our youth group had started growing. I was minister of youth, Court remembers those days. Um, we would have sometimes 25 or 30 students that would come to our house on Thursday morning before school for prayer breakfast. I would stand in the doorway between the dining room and the living room because we had kids in both rooms and I would stand in the doorway to give them my devotional because we couldn't get them all in one room. That little house back there, that house had a washing machine drain and the washing machine drain just went out into the pasture, the five acres behind us back there. The washing machine drain just went out into that pasture and flowed out into the pasture. You could do that out of the country. It had... It had originally those old clay pipes. You can remember those? They were about that long way, and you know, they'd get clogged up pretty easy. So what happened when they get clogged up? Eventually they'd find a hole. And you'd always know where it was because when that water would start coming through that line and it'd hit the clog and the hole, it'd come up right through the ground like a geyser. You could tell. That's the picture I get when I see what Paul describes as being filled with the Holy Spirit and let your singing be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that bubbling up. Can't, can't wait to, some of you are saying, play pipes, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, to, be, to have a, a heart that is so full of joy and love for who he is and what he's done in our lives, that it's just got to overflow and explode. Singing is to be an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you do that? Yes. I think there are a number of ways, but let me, let me uh, tell you what I think is the primary way to do that. 
primary, primarily we do that by internalizing the Word of God. I use that word purposely. Internalizing the Word of God. We memorize it. We, we read it. We memorize it. We study it. We chew on it. And it becomes a part of who we are. Not to find a text to justify some action I want to take. But to see what God's Word has to say and adjust my life accordingly. So we internalize the Word of God. I think that's the primary way that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me move on. Second thing, look in verse 19. And I want to stay here for a few minutes. Verse 19. If you'll allow me, I want to work backwards on this just a little bit. The last line of verse 19 says, <clears throat> excuse me, singing and making melody in your heart. You see that? Worship is always about the heart. Excuse me. When, when we make it just about physical, it's just that. Wood, hay, and stuff. When we see scripture, it's always about the heart. And God always causes people. It's, it's not about the form or the style or that sort of thing. It's always about when you get what he sees inside us. In Amos chapter 5, you see that verse in Amos chapter 5. Uh, it's clear how God feels about the forms that uh, are not accompanied by the heart. When he says, take away from me the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. And I am so fearful that much of what happens on Sunday morning in churches in America, God looks at and says, get away with those songs. I don't want to hear your orchestras, your praise team, your drama group, your lights, your whatever. I don't want any of that. What I want is to see a heart that's in love with me and will give me praise. That's what brings glory to him. And i got to tell you, if somebody looks at me, if you knew what was inside here, you'd be utterly amazed that God could do a work regeneration in this house. And to see that, then the world could say, yes, if God can do that in him, God could do that in me. Singing is to be an expression of the heart. Let me, let me just take a moment and say, you know, since I sing for a living and done this for many years, I know that sometimes you come to church and sometimes you you have a fight with kids on the way to church. You, you, me and the wife are not getting along. Things are not good at work. We've got a crisis. We've got an illness. We've got all, There's so many things that we bring to this place. One of the great things about worship is when we do, we can leave it all aside for a while. We just come and be in the presence of God where he literally does miracles when we worship him. Uh, I, I'm aware of all that. I believe this is right, but I'll let you judge this and take it for what it's worth. I think this is true, though. I think there are three levels, if I can call it that, of worship that are pleasing to God. First is that level where we do come with the overflow of the heart. We spent time in His Word. We spent time with the Lord. And I've used the term that when we come on Sunday, we bring our little churches to big church. Because all week we've been meeting with Him. And I love... Some of you have seen the song list that I post on Facebook on Friday or Saturday the week before. I do that so you can see. I've been singing those all week long. I can't wait to join with you on Sunday and get here. I know Wayne's going to be here, and he's going to sing with me. And I know there's other people. Matei's going to be back there, and he's going to sing. Uh, that joyful overflow of the heart, that's one time or one level of worship that's pleasing to God. I think there's another level that comes with honesty when we come and say, Lord, 
I really can't. I just can't get where I need to be today. You know what's going on in my life? It's not a surprise to you. But I'm going to lift my voice and sing. And if it's through tears, I'll do that. But I'm going to give it to you. Um, I'm tempted to tell too many stories today. I'm, I'm, I will not do that. Laurie Klein was her name. She had a disease of her foot feet. Some of you have heard this story. She, RS, uh, RSD, I think is what it's called. Uh, she basically went to bed one night and couldn't walk the next day. And then the treatment for her disease, it was very slow uh, therapy to get back to where she could use her legs again. The doctor said to her at one point, he said, when you get up in the morning and you force your feet to do what they were made to do, don't focus on what doesn't work. Keep your eyes ahead to where you want to go. So don't focus on what doesn't work, but keep your eyes ahead to what does work. We're glad she did, because Laurie Klein gave it to the church, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Love that song. There's a third level, I think, that's also worship that's pleasing to God. That's a level that, prayerfully, we're not there that often. A level that says, Lord, I can't even lift my voice to you today. My heart is in such turmoil or sorrow or whatever that I'm unable to lift my voice to you. Can I tell you that there is a wonderful encouragement from the Word of God for you? Um, believe I'm not out of context to say this. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 speaks of times when the Spirit will pray for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. So with honesty when you come before the Lord and say Lord I am, I am destitute. I am distraught. I can't give it to you. I believe that kind of honesty before the Lord is true worship that he will honor. So those are three things. I'll let you take those for what they're worth. Let me move on. The third thing, also in verse 19, look toward the end of that verse. You read it again. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. God has promised to be with us when we worship Him. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22.3 in one of the translations says, God inhabits the praise of His people. Did you know that Hebrew word in that verse is tehillah? Tehillah, to sing praise to the Lord. So it wouldn't be but a stretch, I think, to say God inhabits. God comes and dwells where his people sing to him. If you're in a place where you're somebody who just really doesn't sing, sing to the Lord. I don't care that you can't carry a tune in the bucket. It doesn't matter. If what I see is true in Scripture, and I think it is, God doesn't care either. I'm glad he made some people like Jennifer who can sing, like Ben, who can sing. But that's not really what he's after. He's looking at a heart that's in tune. Come thou found of every blessing, tune my heart to sing my praise. Singing is to be to the Lord. That's why we sing what I call Godward songs, songs directed to God. Songs like, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory cannot see. 
Only thou art holy. That's why we sing hymns, folks. Because not because they're old, we sing them because they're great. Amen. We sing songs like Open the Eyes of My Heart. I want to see you. Because we need to be reminded of the grace and glory of God. I have um, joked somewhat, half jokingly, about a phrase that I coined when we were in Hawaii not long ago, listening to Christian radio for for a week. Uh, Contemporary Christian humanism is what I called it about. Contemporary Christian humanism because it seemed that every song I heard was about me. All about me. And maybe a little bit about God in my life. And I said to Debbie at one point, I just want to hear one song about the character and nature of God. And just about that time, Living Hope came on. That gave me, restored my, renewed my faith and restored my hope. Uh, that there are, there are still great songs and hymns being written today. We ought to always sing a lot of songs that are directed to God because His greatness demands nothing less. But then it says something else in that verse 19. It also says, speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We, Debbie and I were in Tampa, Florida a number of years ago leading a missions conference. There was no pastor from North Carolina, who had an accent. He had that North Carolina accent. Sometimes you could barely understand him. But I had started the first song of this conference when he came to the front, and he said this to a room full of 100 missionaries from around the world. He said, Folks, there are three things that are really hard to do. One is to climb a fence that's leaning toward you. Two is to kiss a girl that's leaning away from you. And three is to teach and admonish one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs without opening your mouth. You cannot obey this scripture by yourself. Teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's why I think it's good for us to be able to have our heads up. Perhaps even uh, the screen gives us an advantage there in some ways because it gives us an opportunity to look around and as we're singing, I can look and I can say, there's Melissa. God gave her a gift to play. There's so-and-so. I remember what the Lord did in their family just a few days ago. There's Ben. I love what he spoke at his mother's memorial service. And I'll never... I'll never forget those words. And we're able to look around and, and it's a part of the journey that we have together as a covenant body to be able to share with one another. So we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And when we do, we edify, we lift up one another. This is, this is just an aside, okay? This is just thrown in for what it's worth. That's why when the church gathers, you ought to have the lights on. Where else in our culture do you go into a place where the lights are dark and and you've got curtains and screens, lights on the stage? Only when there's a show, a theater somewhere. That's why I, that's why I believe you ought to have have lights on. Uh, aside from the fact I'm getting about half blind and I needed to see my needed to see the scriptures. <laughs> Speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. When we were building the worship center at Liberty City. I had an experience of having a meeting with architects. 
and they asked me a question that I've never been asked before, uh, and probably should have. The question was this, in the new building that we're building here, what do you want the defining sound of your church to be? That was the term, the defining sound. Now, we had an orchestra, uh, not, not that point, we had a praise a band, we had piano and keyboard and drums, and we had a choir and all sorts of things like that. So his question was, how do we want to design this platform so that we maximize the sound that you're looking for? And my answer to him was, oh, that's easy. The defining sound of the church should be the congregation singing. The choir of the church, as B.B. McKinney used to call it. The choir is the church. The defining sound ought to always be God's people gathered together, lifting up praise to him. And can I also tell you, I think it's very valid, uh, Lucas. I think uh, one of the most valid questions we can ask when we're looking back at last Sunday and saying, how was last Sunday? When we ask that question, what we say? Well, we had, good, we had a lot of people were gone on vacation today, but we had a good number, and man, singing was really good. That's a, question, a good question to ask. How did the church sing last Sunday? Because that's one of the things we're commanded to do. So it's good for us to talk about that and to be uh, involved in the singing as a church. All right, let's go to number five. We're moving. Number five, still in verse 19. Singing is to be very informed. It says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I want to tell you what those words mean. But I don't know. So I can't. <laughs> I, know, I know a lot of commentators have a lot of different ideas. And, I, and I've read a lot of them. I just can't, I can't line up with any of them necessarily. Uh, even the Hebrew study didn't help that much. But this is what I do know. When I, when I get a glimpse of how great God is. And what he's done for me. It causes me to want to express worship that won't get done in just one form. It's going to overflow to something else. And uh, I think that's why God gives us different expressions that we can give back to Him. Because we need to sing a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. We need to sing about the Prince of Darkness grim. We tremble not for Him because that one little word will fail Him. We need to sing a lot of songs like that, but we also need songs like the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And everything in between. We need the old songs. They've stood the test of time. The theology is solid in many of them. We also need new songs. We commanded the Scripture to sing a new song to the Lord. And if I could just say here, one of the differences I see today and in years gone by could probably be rectified if it would be. And that is, in years gone by, many songs were written by theologians, pastors, teachers. Uh, it wasn't just the musicians. So that, shall I go there? So that you end up with God being defined as reckless. Really? We can do better. We can do better. We, as a Church, I mean, look around, we're not really all that diverse. We have some different races, and we have different ages, and a lot of different things. But boy, 
are we ever diverse when it comes to musical style? But, amen? <laughs> Everybody has a kind of music they like. And for most of us, that's the kind of music we ought to do all the time. That's why I mentioned this. The greatness of God is too great to be defined by one style. Let's sing along. But it, if they're talking about the greatness and goodness of God, listen, Debbie and I were traveling and finally, after years and years, got to attend Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. The church where Charles Haddon Spurgeon had such a wonderful ministry for all those years. To say we were disappointed in the worship service was would be an understatement. But I was able to worship there because in the course of what was a dull and dry uh, time period, an hour and a half of the service. The Lord spoke to me in the singing of a hymn. If you're like me and you're Baptist, you won't know this because it was the third verse of the hymn. <laughs> Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. If with his love he be friendly. That's the third verse of praise to the Lord the Almighty. Ponder anew what the Almighty, and for weeks after that, I would go with that line in my mind, pondering you what the Almighty could do. More recently, Debbie and I were in a church here in Longview, and it was just not us. It just wasn't. There was so much that just didn't fit us. And I didn't know, I don't think I knew anything that they sang, maybe one song. But there was one line, one line in one song that stuck with me. And I was able to resonate with that. It may be that you're like my friend Denny Smith said to me one time, I can't stand those praise songs we do in our church. But I love what's happening because of it. That was interesting, I love it. Could we put aside our style differences and just say, maybe this is not for me, but it's going to touch somebody's heart today. And know that if God is being glorified, he'll use it for that very purpose. And after all, isn't that what it's really all about? One of the verse 20. Singing is to be filled with the theology of the sovereignty of God and a strong belief in his goodness. Look at verse 20 again. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is one of the most outlandish statements in Scripture. Giving thanks always for all things. Really? I, I will remember Brother Henry Johnson teaching on this subject and using the Thessalonians passage where he said, now it says give thanks in all things, but that doesn't mean for all things. I will remember that. Giving thanks for all things. This is the will of God. I don't know where your theology falls about God's sovereignty. Ralph and I were sharing just a little bit earlier today. Um, but I know at some point in your life you'll deal with how sovereign you believe God is. It may be at the point of crisis. It might be when somebody close to you goes home. 
But you will, you will at some point deal with who is God and how much do I believe that he really does all things together for good to those who love him according to his purpose. The sovereignty of God and a strong belief in that sovereignty is a wonderfully liberating thing. Because in it I can say, God is God. God is God. And as the songwriter said in the, in the 1600s, you who long pain and suffering bear, trust Christ and on him cast your care. He's worthy that we can trust him. And, and wherever your theology ends up, mine has been in, in a journey to understand this. I'm at a place now believing that I may not have it all figured out before I go home to glory. But that's okay. Because if I make a mistake, I want to make a mistake on the side of believing that God is sovereign. Not that I have a choice. And I'm comfortable with that. Look at what my friend Danny Stanley said on Facebook this week. The older I get, he said, the more I trust God to work things out. From the global political struggles to the details of my personal life and family, God is in control. And that comforts my anxious heart. That resonated with me. The older I get, the more I see, and some days I do it better than others, that God really does have these things. So when I see the commentator saying, there's only 12 years left of earth, <laughs> God's got this thing. When I get a call and there's some issue in my family, I think, God's got it. There's the financial problem. Name it. God's got it. He's sovereign. And he's in control. Who wouldn't sing to a God like that? Who wouldn't lift your voice up to sing praise to him? Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. For he is our God. And we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let's sing to the Lord. Don't let anything, don't let anything hinder you from giving you praise and worship to him. He'll bless that, and he'll grow you in the process. The gospel is this. The gospel is that you are a sinner. Nobody had to teach you how to do that. You came out very well equipped and prepared to sin on your own. If you don't believe that, go to our three-year-old class. Look, you'll see it in the flesh. Come spend a few days with our three-year-old great-grandson. You'll see it. Sin is inherent in who we are. But God, God knew that we couldn't do anything about that and he knew that we couldn't exist in the presence of a holy God unless he did something. And God gave his son Jesus Christ who with his own blood came and purchased the price that you and I must have in order for us to come in the presence of God. And because of that, he offers new life through him. And to all who will accept that new life, to all who will come and say, Lord, I repent of my sin and I believe and trust in you, he has offered that new life principle to be put in your heart and to give you a life not just for now, but forevermore. A life in Christ, a life better than to be an abundant life, he calls it. If you'd like to know that life today, we have people who would love to share with you how you can do that. But honestly, they're not going to come to you and say, repeat this prayer after me, raise your hand if you want to trust them. They're not going to do that. Because you'll need to know that you're a sinner. And what's really required is that you repent of that sin 
and follow Jesus. When you come with a pure heart to do that, he'll save you. And he'll, and he'll give you a new life better than it's ever been. So I'm going to ask you to pray now, and then we're going to sing together and ask the Lord that he might uh, submit in our hearts what we've heard today, and that we might be those who would gloriously declare the grace and glory of God through song. Father, I thank you for your word and for the power of your word, and I pray that it might take root in our hearts today. Let us never shrink back from not just the, uh, the beauty, but from the delight that we have in giving praise and honor to you. May our songs be lifted up, whether it be with beautiful voices or voices that from man's perspective are not so much. Let our hearts lift up praise to you. And may you always be glorified. I pray that if there's one here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, if they might come to a place today and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I repent of that sin. I'd ask you to come and save me. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.